Today I want to begin by reading another parody on Psalm 23, a little light perhaps, and it is dedicated to all my fellow dieters. It goes that way. Strict is my diet, I must not want. It makes me to lie down at night hungry. It leads me past Baskin-Robbins. It tries my willpower. It leads me in the path of starvation for my figure's sake. Yea, though I walk through the aisles of the pastry store, I will buy no sweet rolls, for they are fattening. The cakes and the pies, they tempt me. Before me is a table with celery and lettuce. (laughs) My day's quarter runneth over. Surely calories and weight charts shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the fear of the scales forever. (laughs) Some of you will understand that. Others don't. Verse 3 of Psalm 23, David the shepherd king talking about the real shepherd king, the perfect shepherd king, the only shepherd king. And he says that he restores my soul. And the first thing probably occurred to you is that if the Lord is my shepherd, how come do I need restoration? If I'm born again, walking with God, loving God, how can I need to be restored? Well, the answer is this. David is a man of whom God said these words, I have searched the heart of David and found it after my own heart. And yet, he saw a desperate need for restoration. Many times David felt dejected and discouraged and despondent. David, like all of us, at one time or another, experienced frustration. We experienced the feeling of helplessness. David had experienced the pain of sinning and breaking the heart of God. But he also experienced the forgiveness of God. David, who experienced reaping that bitter harvest because of his sin. You see, there is a harvest. There is a bitter harvest. You might not reap it for a week or two, or a month or two, or a year or two, or maybe a decade or two. But there is a bitter harvest to disobedience and the defiance of the will of God in our life. David says, he restores my soul. Psalm 42. David was rebuking himself and he exhorting his soul. And he said, Saul, my soul, why are you so dejected? Why are you cast? In fact, that word cast is a sheep terminology. It is a terminology used for the sheep. Because I am told that a cast sheep is a pathetic sight. A cast sheep is a sheep who finds itself on his back, kicking with all four, trying to get himself on his feet, but to no avail. It's impossible. It is next to impossible for that sheep to get in a position of being on his four feet again. Only the shepherd, only the shepherd can come in so lovingly and gently turn the sheep around and put him back on his feet. In fact, the sheep could die if he stays in that position for a long time. 
The good shepherd keeps his eye on the sheep. In fact, they count and count and recount and watch and see who's there and who's not. And if one of those sheep are missing, the shepherd is concerned and he runs back to look lest there is one that is cast. And helplessly on its back. How many of us would identify with the cast feeling when you're on your back, kicking furiously with all four? And thinking that you're accomplishing something. You pull all the stops. You push all the buttons. You try to beat down every closed door. You push and you shove. And in reality, you're making it worse. And not better. I'm told that the cast sheep in that position is the most vulnerable position a sheep can be in. Remember I said in the last message that the only alternative they have is to run from their enemies. And when it's back, he can't run, he can't go anywhere. And that is why David, the experienced shepherd, who knew the danger of being cast in a position like that, rebukes himself and says, there's no need for me to feel that way. There is no need for me to feel like that. Why? Because in Psalm 23, verse 3, he said, the good shepherd is the one who can restore my soul. He's the only one who can turn me around. He's the only one who can put me back on my feet. He's the only one who can save me from my desperation. He's the only one who can restore my soul. You know, Jesus tells us in Luke 15 about how if there's one out of the hundred missing, that the shepherd that's not going to rest, he's going to go out, he's going to search, he's going to try to find that lost sheep and brings him back. The good shepherd will always look for the sheep. But will the sheep allow the shepherd to restore him? And you might be a person who's running away from God. You might be an individual who is defiant to the will of God in your life. You might be a person who's wanting to do your own thing. You might be an individual who's in denial of God's moral and ethical demands in your life and upon your business and upon your family. And now... You're on your back, kicking with all four. The good shepherd wants to restore you. Will you let him? Will you let him restore you? I know there is some sort of a fallacy going on among some Christian circles that says that when you sin and you've fallen, God is mad at you. God is angry with you. God is so disgusted with you. He wants nothing to do with you. That is wrong. That's a heresy. That is not what the Bible teaches God wants to restore you. He longs for your repentance. The good shepherd, you remember, was so grieved when he looked over Jerusalem, the city, and there he wept. And he wept over the sin of Jerusalem. He wept for those who have spurned his affection. He wept over those who have refused his forgiveness and his willingness to restore them. He has wept over those who have refused his restoration. Why did he weep? He is the God who controls it all. He could do anything. Why did he weep? Well, certainly it's not out of sense of helplessness. He was weeping over those who refused his mercy. He was weeping over those who refused his restoration. Because Jesus knew that the alternative is His justice. The alternative is His judgment. Thus He wept. 
And that is why the Scripture said, Today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart. You know what happens when you keep hearing the Word of God, but you keep doing your own thing? You keep hearing the Word of God, then you keep doing your own thing. Eventually, your heart is going to get callous and it's going to be hard. And that is why the Scripture said, Harden not your heart. God is tenderly reaching out to you, and He wants to turn you around. Will you let Him? You know, He's so loving. He's so patient. He longs to restore you. I know, as an under-shepherd, I get tired, and I get discouraged, but He never does. He is willing to restore you, but you must repent. No matter where or how I may be cast, He is more than ready to turn me around. He restores my soul. But He not only turned me around, but He also shows me the way. He shows me the safe way. He shows me the better way. He shows me the right way. He shows me the excellent way. He leads me in the path of righteousness, said David, for His name's sake. You see, sheep are creatures of habit. They would follow that small trail until the trail become rut. They would graze over the same area until it becomes desert. And if water comes in or rain comes in, it becomes mud. But the sheep is just sitting there. Unless they obey the shepherd and they move on, they will starve to death where they are sitting. I want to ask you, how many Christians do you know are going to churches and worshiping churches that have long since stopped on feeding upon the Word of God? And yet they sit there. Long those churches have ceased to acknowledge the authority of the Word of God. And yet these sheep, these dear people, just sit there like the parodical son, eating the food that is offered to the pigs. They're spiritually starving. Why? Because they are creatures of habit. While the leadership has abandoned the path of righteousness, they refuse to follow the Good Shepherd's direction or trust in His Word. And yet the elect are being misled, grazing in the desert. Philip Keller, whom I quoted in my last message, who wrote an excellent book on Psalm 23, he said these words, let me quote them to you. He said, Well-worn areas become quickly infested with parasites of all kinds, and within a short period of time, the sheep will become infected with worms and scabs. And the final upshot is... The sheep becomes thin, wasted away, and sickly. He leads me in the path of righteousness. He tells me this is the way to go. He is an experienced sheep man. He knows exactly the road because he has walked to the head. He checked it out for wolf traps. He checked it out for heights. He checked it out in every sense of the word. And he says, go this way, but not this way. But you know what we do? And oh, we use sanctimonious language to justify it. We stubbornly and with a stiff neck try to go our own way. We say, no, Lord, that looks good because it's more comfortable. And God, you want me to be comfortable, don't you? And then you fall flat in a cast position. You know, I want to tell you, there's something terrifying about destructive self-determination. There really is. It is interwoven with personal pride and self-assertion. We cry to God only when we're desperate. And the moment He answered our prayers, we're back exactly to the rut. It's like the, the man who was nailing some shingles on the roof of his house, 
and he lost his footing, and he began to slide. And he called upon the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, please help me. But he continued to slide. He cried again, Oh, Lord, please help me. Continued to slide until he got to the edge. And actually, a nail caught his pants. And he came to a stop. At that point, he said, Never mind, Lord, the nail got hold of me now. <laughs> Listen, you can do your own thing. It's okay. You can do your own thing as long as you know that there is a consequences and the consequences are painful. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way which seems right unto man, but the end of it, the ways of death. The one overriding reason for broken homes, for broken hearts, for broken children, for broken society is the abandoning of the path of righteousness. We don't want to be led into the path of righteousness. We don't want to follow the steps of the Lord Jesus. We don't want to give up our rights. Who is going to tell me that I'm going to give up my rights? Watch them. Demand the rights. Yet the big tragedy is that we would deny that. We would deny it. Because somehow, if you've got enough sanctimonious language... You use it to rationalize, spiritualize. And you heard me say before, when you spiritualize, you're really telling spiritual lies because you are telling spiritual lies. We rationalize it. We sing the songs. Where he leads me, I'll follow. But, oh, Lord, don't lead me here and there and there and everywhere. Just lead me in this one. I want you to hear me right. I am yet to see a happy marriage where both spouses demand the rights. I haven't seen one yet. I want to stop preaching and, and meddle here for a minute. I want to tell you, hear me right. If you're not willing to submit your right to your spouse, chances are you have never learned to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. I know. I'm saying hard words. I haven't started yet. He said, well, my wife refuses to follow me. Well, listen, mister, she can't follow a parked car. <laughs> well, he said, my husband is not leading in the home. Well, if you stop long enough breathing down his neck and let him come up for air, he might give it a shot. He restores my soul. He leads me. He leads me into the path of righteousness. But you can have a choice. You can say, yes, I'll follow him. Oh, no, I'm not going to follow him. And he leads me for the path of righteousness. Why? David said, it is for his name's sake. What does that mean? You see, when you take the name of Jesus upon your life, when the world knows that you're a Christian, when the world knows that you're a believer, and you get yourself in the puddle, you are not only muddying your own name, you are muddying the name of God upon whose lips you have taken when you get yourself in the puddle, you're staining not only your own name, but the name of the Lord. You take Him down with you. You're sullying not only your name, but the Lord's reputation. As my prayer partners know, it's my daily prayer. Lord, if I ever sully your name, I would rather die, snuff my life, before that would happen. So it is for His own name's sake that he wants us to follow in the path of righteousness for the glory of God. 
that he wants us to walk in the path of righteousness. Verse 4. Yea, there are walks through the valley of the shadow of death. I shall fear no evil. Now, this is exactly halfway of the psalm. Halfway point here. Those six verses actually are two sections. The first three verses are talking about the shepherd. What he does. He is the good shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. He makes me lie down. He does all that. The last three verses is the reaction of the sheep. How does the sheep react to the good shepherd? How does the sheep react to what the shepherd does? How is he affected by who the shepherd is and what he does? And these are verses 4, 5, and 6. I'm only going to look at 4 today. First, his leadership, his ownership, takes care of enemy number one. Public enemy number one is fear. He takes care of that. And we're not talking about any kind of fear. We're talking about the deadly kind of fear. The worst kind of fear. Fear of death. Look at any way you like. You're going to find that whatever fear you have, in the bottom of it, at the root of it, is fear of death. And as the shepherd takes the sheep to higher ground, out of necessity to get up to the top of the mountain, out of necessity, they're going to wound their way through dark and narrow valleys through treacherous valleys. Some of them are so dark you can't see. They're filled with danger and ultimately death. Yet none of that frightens the sheep. None of this frightens David. Why? Because even death, even if he falls to his death to a child of God, it's merely an opening. It's merely a door that's going to open into eternal life with Christ. Death is but the dark valley opening into the everlasting joy. Death is not something to be feared by the believer. No. It is an experience through which we will pass into the perfect life. But meanwhile, in this journey, as we go along, walking with the Lord into higher grounds, there are deadly valleys that we have to pass through in order to get to higher grounds. There are the disappointments in life, the frustrations, the discouragement, the dark and difficult days. They all come. These are shadowed valleys, but they need not to be disastrous when you walk with the shepherd. Because he is pledged to take care of you. Because they are the road that lead to higher and more intimate relationship with God. You know, when I hit one of those dark and shadowy valleys in my own life, I'm tempted to say, oh God, that's tough, that's hard. The sooner I remind myself that the Lord is taking me to a higher ground, He's taking me to a higher stage in my walking with Him, to a closer and more intimate walk with God, the sooner I remind myself, the quicker the valleys, or all their fears and all their anxieties, they become not important. These valleys will not only lead to higher grounds, but as you walk through these narrow valleys, there are the purest of water springs. There are the highest of quality of grass. And certainly I do not wish anybody to walk in the valley. But I want to tell you from a heart of experience that until you have walked with God in the depths of your troubles, that you will really experience intimacy with God. My broken times are my growing times with God. That you have not really experienced nearness to the heart of God until you experience Him walking with you in the shadowed valleys of life.
But there's one thing here in this verse I want you to remember. One word you must remember. And that's the word through. Through. Though I walk through. It doesn't say, though I sit in the valley. Although I stay in the valley. I am walking through the valley. It's only a temporary thing. It does not last forever. It's not going to go on forever. It is a temporary thing. I would ask the average question, would you like valleys in your life? The answer is no. Yet those narrow valleys are the greatest blessings in your walk with God. And I tell you, many of you would testify with me to the faithfulness of God again and again. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The question is, it is not how deep these valleys are. The question is not how many of these valleys you're going to walk through in your life. The question is not how dark some of these valleys might be. But the question is how am I going to go through them? How am I going to react when these valleys come? I want to tell you, with Jesus, I'm going to walk as if I'm walking through a parade. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, in the Middle East, the shepherd carries both the rod and the staff. The rod is the shepherd's weapon of authority and power. The staff is for reaching out to individual sheep. The rod is God's word, for God's word is the revelation of his power. It is the revelation of his authority. It is the revelation of his mind. It is the revelation of his will in our life. And how do we need to cling to that rod of God that comfort me? How do we need to cling to that rod in an age of confusion, in an age of chaos, in an age where the right is wrong and the wrong is right? When modern ministers are undermining the authority of the Scripture and describe the Word of God as irrelevant for our day, as no longer applicable to modern society, yet we know that the only comfort can come is from clinging to that rod of God. It's the only thing that's going to keep us from confusion. It's going to keep our children on a steady course. When we cling to it, they comfort us. The rod is for the good of the sheep. You see, it is for disciplining the sheep. It's for correcting the sheep. It's for reproving. And that's exactly what the Word of God does. The staff is a long stick, thin normally with a crook at the end of it. And it's a symbol of the shepherd's compassion. It's a symbol of the shepherd's patience. It's a symbol of the shepherd's perseverance. Just as the rod is symbolic of the Word of God, the staff is a symbolic of the Spirit of God. And no wonder the Bible said about the Holy Spirit, His name is the Comforter. David, years ago before the Holy Spirit is given freely in the day of Pentecost, he said, Thy rod and thy staff, your word and your spirit, they comfort me. The shepherd will use the staff to lift up the newborn lamb and bring it to its mother if they get separated. He uses for, to get the attention of the individual sheep and lead them, especially those who are prone to wander off. The staff is used to guide just as the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. The Spirit of the living God, using the living Word of God, convicts our conscience 
It pierces it for right conduct before God under the shepherd's watchful eye. With this, I'm going to conclude. Years ago, the famous London preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon insisted on that particular Sunday morning that the Bible that is normally open when people walk in, now this is a man who preached to 5,000 people before PA systems. Now he insisted on that particular Sunday to keep the Bible closed and not open as normally was. And then when the Bible reading time came, he stood up. And he said, some of you have found fault with me. They say that I am old-fashioned because I am always quoting from the Bible. And don't say enough about science and psychology. He continued to say, well, there is a poor widow here in this congregation who lost her only son, a fine Christian young man. She wants to know if she will ever see him again. Let us turn to science and psychology for answer. Will she ever see him again? Where is he? Does death end all? And then there was a long pause as he waited. He said, we are waiting for an answer. This woman is anxious to know. Another long pause. And then he said, if there is no answer, then let us open our Bibles. And to clinch his point, Spurgeon began to read the promises of God in regard to eternal life. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There are only hope in a hopeless world. There are only comfort in an uncomfortable world. And I pray that if you are in a cast position, that the Lord may turn you over on your feet today. All it takes is you asking him in this moment of silence before God. You may be a person who always demanded your rights, that you have subtly refused the leadership of the good shepherd into the path of righteousness. You might be a person who's so proud of your own achievements and what you have accomplished and what you've accumulated. And God is saying, you have to look to me. That kind of thinking would only get you in a cast position. Scripture said, today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable hour. Therefore, harden not your heart. If you have never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is an opportunity. Say, Lord God, I lived it all to myself, and today I want to surrender to you. You personally have experienced the Lord, but decided to do your own thing. This is an opportunity. They say, Lord, I'll come to you. Thank you for tenderly reaching out to me. He is a good shepherd. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.